Hello, this is Todd. This is Kathy. And this is Conversations with People We Love, brought to you by BU Incorporated. On this show, we talk with authors and we talk with teachers, we talk with friends and anybody that has a story to share that can help us open our heart and be more aware of who we are. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another uh, episode of Zen Parenting Radio. We, this is a Conversations with People We Love. We have a very special guest. Her name is Tara Moore, and she's an expert on women's leadership and well-being. She helps women play bigger in sharing their voices and bringing forward their ideas in work and in life. A Coaches Training Institute certified coach with an MBA from Stanford Uni- University and an undergraduate degree in English literature from Yale. Tara takes a unique approach that blends inner work and practical skills training. She's the creator of the Playing Big Leadership Program for Women, which now has more than 1,000 graduates from around the world. Her book, Playing Big, Find Your Voice, Your Mission, Your Message, named a best book of 2014 by Apple's iBooks, shares her pioneering model from the acclaimed leadership program for making the journey from playing small, being held back by fear and self-doubt, to playing big taking bold actions, and pursue what you see as your callings. Her work has been featured on national media from the New York Times to Today's Show to Harvard Business Review and has captivated women from all works of life, including Maria Shriver, Jillian Michaels, and Elizabeth Gilbert. So, Tara, thank you very much for joining us. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're excited to have you. We are so excited to have you, and I will say this before Tara starts – I saw Tara twice in the last couple years. Um, I always attend this um, wonderful weekend workshop called Emerging Women. And so I ran across Tara the first time a year ago and then saw her again this year. And mm. I was so excited that she had a book for all of us, which our <laughs> listeners who listen regularly have heard your name several times because we've actually Aww. talked about you on the show. So I'm just personally so excited to have Tara here. And um, as Todd just read that wonderful bio, she is start making such an impact on women. And Todd was going to ask, Tara, do you... Do you work with men, too, just out of curiosity? You know, I have historically really focused my work on women, but now that I have a son, it's really changing (laughs) my perspective on things. And so I'm thinking about um, doing more more work for both women and men. Yeah. Well, and I wonder if, um, if it's because, you know, cause I, I work with men and sometimes it's hard to get the men to work on themselves are too busy, you know, trying to set their goals, set their goals <laughs> and, and, and you check off things on their to-do list. So, mm. um, I think it's a tougher sell for the, in, in our experience. Well, whenever I do a lecture or something, you know, for women, like often I'll go into a corporate environment and it'll be a program for women, but then there'll be a few guys on the perimeter who are usually the the managers or the executives sponsoring the program and they're listening in and they always come over to me afterwards and they say, this really just isn't for women. Men have inner critics too. Men are struggling with fear too. We might show it differently. We might show it less, but but we really need these tools too. So I've always felt the response was there, but I also have had such a passion for having women get their voices heard in the world that has made that my focus. But I, I have a feeling in the future, especially as I'm raising a boy, that's, that's going to be shifting somewhat. 
and it, it completely, it almost feels inevitable. And I so agree with you that, like Todd said, sometimes the the work that Todd and I do, it's hard to get men in the seats. But when the men are in the seats, we've had nothing but wonderful positive feedback. So I think it's yeah. really a lot of what you're talking about are universal principles. They apply across the board. Maybe women need to hear them more or have a deeper understanding of of where a lot of these voices and the fear comes from, and a lot of our the historical significance of why we're we aren't stepping up. But it really exactly. applies to both. Yeah. Yes. There's different historical contexts. There's different social contexts. And sometimes the things that we're talking about manifest in different ways. But we're we're all grappling with the same underlying psychological and spiritual challenges. So it seems like you got two big things going on. You got this leadership program and you have the book. Which one came first and did one kind of feed from the other? Yeah. Well, what what came very first, I would say, is in my own life and and in my coaching practice when I was just doing one-on-one work, observing brilliant women all around me, women that I thought were so talented and capable who just weren't seeing and believing in their own brilliance and their own abilities. And I was seeing that again and again in my coaching practice. I was seeing it in my friends. I was struggling with my own self-doubt and my own not trusting my voice. And so I started to make that the focus of my one-on-one work with people. Why were women playing small and what was actually going to help us play bigger? And I did that for a couple of years until I felt like I really was seeing a pattern of what tools and ideas significantly and quickly helped women unbridle themselves from a lot of the things that were holding them back. And that I turned into the, that sequence of things is what became the Playing Big Leadership Program, which is a virtual phone-based and online journey for women who want to play bigger. And after I had taught that for a few years and knew that we had come upon a model that was really helping women and that I wanted to have reach as many women as possible, I thought, now it's time to do a book so that these ideas can spread further and be more accessible to people. And Tara, didn't you have a blog that went viral too? Something I remember that from the first year I saw you. What was that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wrote a post based on those feelings of frustration around brilliant women not seeing their brilliance and thinking about some of those clients, that, you know, great women who would come into my office and I would just sit across from them as their coach being like, you're, you've so got this. You're so incredible. And they weren't feeling that way about themselves. And so one day I sat down and just had, I had one particular client in mind uh, whose story is also in the book, um, who I now call Nisha, her, mm-hmm. protect her original name. But, and I, so I was thinking about Nisha and I was just thinking, these are all the things I want you to know about yourself. And these are all the things I want you to do differently. You know, I want you to get back on your own side. I want you to get a thicker skin and be a lot less worried about what people think. I want you to learn how to filter advice and not feel like you have to take all the advice everyone gives you. And I just kind of stream of consciousness wrote these 10 things that I wish she knew. And I immediately knew, okay, this is called 10 rules for brilliant women. And at the time I had just started blogging for Huffington post. This was in 2010. I've been writing for them for a couple of months. And so I, submitted that post and it very quickly went very viral Mm. uh, and just resonated so widely. Um, And, you know, really for years, every single day I would see new 
tweets and Facebook shares of it and people were reaching out to me, can I translate it into Arabic? Can I translate it into uh, Portuguese? Like just so, so resonant. So that for me, you know, it was, it was not only of course really fun and fulfilling, but it also underscored this phenomenon of our time, which is um, that, that there is a lot of latent capability and brilliance that we have a lot more in us as women than we are putting forth into the world. And I think that's, that's kind of the, the bridge we're at at this moment that we have, we have a tremendous number of new freedoms as women and we're not using them completely yet. And we have some inner work to do in order to enable ourselves to use them completely. Oh, I so agree. And I love that word uh, resonance because you're right. It's, you know, that blog, however long ago it was, like you said, it, it lives on because new women are seeing it every day and saying, that's me, you know? And so it's just nice to have something so living and now having your book the same way. Um, so on that note, one of the things I loved in your book is how you were able to explain why women don't always play big because a lot of times we blame ourselves. So there's that internal critic. And a lot of times we get, you know, other people telling us you're not doing enough. Um, And there are, as you explain in the book, some external reasons, you know, some legislation issues, some political issues, um, some things that are set up externally. But you do a wonderful job of explaining that there's also these internal things from our history, um, from women's history. Could you explain a little more about why, why do so, why are so many women leer about stepping forward? What is it that we as women carry from our history? Yes, yes. I think this is so important, you know, because right now there are a lot of, there's a lot of talk about women's self-doubt. Do we have a lack of confidence? What are these inner barriers? And, and that often gets confused with the idea that we're blaming women for the dearth of women in leadership. It's like, well, if it's an inner barrier, isn't it just our problem and it's our problem to fix and we should just deal with it somehow, go sit on a therapist's couch and figure it out. It's our problem. And I experienced that, that uh, confusion about those ideas uh, very vividly when I, I always think back when I talk about this this particular topic that you're asking about, Kathy, to a time when I was going on a morning news television show in Los Angeles, and I was going to be speaking about some of the ways that women hold themselves back in our communication and talking in a very self-conscious or tentative way. And I was very nervous because I'm always nervous when I'm going on live TV. And it's always, you know, I don't sleep well the night before. And and this was a very weird morning in particular, because I was sitting in the green room about to go on and there was the entire cast of a reality TV show (laughs) and me in this green room. And they were loudly doing their hairspray and their makeup and arguing with each other. And I was kind of (laughs) timidly waiting in the corner, like, Oh dear God, I don't even know how to engage with the other people in this room. And, uh, and then the producer came in and she said, well, I just want to quickly show you here's the, script that the anchor is going to use to introduce you. And we were about 10 minutes to airtime at this point. And so I look at this text and it says, women are only 4% of fortune 500 CEOs. um, And um, they're only 30% of upper management, even though they're more than 50% of the workforce at this point. Our next guest, Tara Sophia Moore, says women have no one to blame but themselves. Welcome, <laughs> Tara. 
great setup, yeah. right? Right. And I'm like, oh God, you know, and for me, I'm, I'm like, I barely, you know, I don't like, I don't like any kind of difficult confrontational conversation, even on a good day. Like when I'm well rested and I have energy, I feel like that takes a lot. So when the nerves are going of 10 minutes before TV time and haven't slept and the reality show cast, I'm just like, how am I going to handle this conversation? But I also thought, well, I, I can't just let that go. Right. So I said to her, you know, I, I, I know this is a news show and I'm sure you want to be accurate because it's a news show and I, I would never say that. So we should really change that. And she said, I, I don't know if we can change that. I don't think we can. And I said, well, what, what if we, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to have to supply the solution here if we're going to get this changed. And so I said, well, what if we say our next guest says there's something women can do to change those statistics? Beautiful. And she's like, well, let me go ask. <laughs> and thankfully, she came back and said, okay, we can do that. So I, I always like to tell that story because it really encapsulates that confusion, right? Yes. Are we saying that women have no one to blame but themselves if we say that women hold themselves back in some way? And I don't think that those things are the same at all, exactly for the reason you mentioned, Kathy, yeah. that we have a lot of internal barriers. We have an internal legacy. We have some behavior patterns and beliefs and thought patterns that um, that absolutely hold us back. But those things are a product of the historical period that we're just coming out of. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's so hard for us as human beings to sometimes pull the camera back and look at the long timeline and look at the big picture. Yeah. But we need to remember, both women and men need to remember that we're coming out of hundreds of years, a couple of thousands of years at least, of development of a civilization where women were almost entirely excluded from political life, professional life, public life, where the idea was that nothing we had to say or nothing we thought uh, could make a substantial contribution yeah. or an even insubstantial contribution. Uh, and, and so we live with the legacy of that. Yeah. And a lot of it is unconscious. Some of it is conscious. And so the inner work that we have to do, I think has nothing to do with blaming women, but it's rather taking responsibility for, okay, I was born into this historical moment of transition and there's a kind of unlearning and relearning that I'm going to need to do if I really want to personally move forward and help us collectively move forward into a new kind of world where uh, women are leading, where women are not seeing themselves as objects or being seen as objects, where women have faith in their ideas and their voices. Beautiful. That is exactly what I, I just, you know, obviously I read this in your book and I was like, if I, if she could encapsulate that and you just did it. Thank mm -hmm. you so much. Um, mm -hmm. So when Kathy got back from her Emerging Women workshop, she was really jacked up about an idea. I think that, this was the first one, right? Yeah. Yeah. That you shared uh, about the two different kinds of fear, Pachad and Yara. And I mm -hmm. wonder, we actually dedicated an entire podcast to that. And obviously mm. we gave you a kudos for it, but uh, for those of uh, our listeners who didn't listen to that podcast, can you explain to us what that's all about? Yes. 
Well, I always say this is my favorite teaching, my favorite piece of wisdom about fear. And of course, we all need some wisdom about fear because we're all we're all grappling with it as an obstacle to our our playing bigger, to our authentic living. Uh, I came across this idea in a book called Sit Still and Get Going uh, that's written by Rabbi Alan Liu. And he was talking about it in a very different context, but it immediately evoked such light bulbs for me. He was talking about how in, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, there are two different words that are used for fear. And one of them is pachad. And the definition of pachad is it's the fear of projected things or imagined things. So this is our fear uh, of what we imagine could go wrong, what could occur in the future. It's the overreactive, irrational fear, usually, right? I could make a total fool of myself. I could um, be laughed out of the room. Um, oh, my gosh, the plane is going to crash, right? It's our fear of what we imagine could happen. I could ask out that person on a date and have them, like, totally rudely turn me down or whatever it might be. That kind of fear uh, we tend to talk about a fair amount in the personal growth world, um, and we're more familiar um, with it in terms of when we study fear neurologically and biologically. That's often the kind of fear we're, we're studying, and that's the kind that evokes the fight-or-flight response that's often not so helpful to us in our contemporary lives because fight-or-flight is designed to help us escape physical dangers. And so when fight-or-flight fires because we're worried about a difficult conversation or we're worried about failure or rejection, it doesn't really help us because fight-or-flight inhibits our ability to think rationally and to um, be our best selves. Then there's this other kind of fear that Rabbi Lou uh, highlighted. And the word for that, as you mentioned, Scott, is yura. And the definition of yura is so fascinating. It shows up in three different ways in the Old Testament to, to mean three slightly different things. One, it's the word that's used when someone uh, is inhabiting a larger space than they're used to. This is the word that's used to describe how they feel. It's the word that's used um, to describe how you feel when you come into possession of more energy than you usually have, kind of like invigorated feeling. And then third, it's the word to use what um, some of the figures in the Old Testament feel when they're in the presence of the divine. So when I read that, I immediately felt like, oh, like, oh, now, oh, now, okay, now I get it, ding, ding, ding. Mm -hmm. Because I realized that many of my coaching clients were experiencing those moments of yura when we were getting to the most important spaces in our work together. I would often have the experience of maybe working with someone who wasn't sure what they wanted their next step to be in their lives or in their careers. And then we'd finally, you know, get to like the point where they'd really spit out what they'd really truly wanted for years, but had never been willing to give themselves permission to want. 
or um, they'd finally, you know, come upon the idea that really captured their passion and and um, and and ignited it. And there would be this kind of sacred space mm-hmm. in the air and this kind of trembling nervousness. And then they'd often say, you know, but I'm so scared, I'm afraid. And when I read those words from Rabbi Lou, I realized that when that happened, I had always thought that I had always just put it in the Pachad category. Oh, if they're feeling scared because they're scared of change and they're worried they could try this and they might fail and, you know, all those those coachy kind of things that we talk about and that I was trained to work with people around. Mm-hmm. But when I read that passage, I realized they're not just feeling pachad in that moment. They're, they are feeling some pachad, but they're also feeling a lot of that more sacred, rare feeling, yira. And I'm really doing them a disservice if I'm just treating that like fear to be overcome or managed because the feeling of yira is actually something much more positive that mm. we need to learn to savor and get comfortable with, even yes. though it feels a little uncomfortable. And um, and that really developed then into a, a central part of how I work with women, and, and it certainly applies for men too, that you know when we're on our right path, when we're pursuing a passion, when we're speaking our truth, when we're standing up for what we believe in, we probably are going to feel both types of fear. And we need to respond to each type of fear or work with each type of fear a little differently. We want to make sure we're not being led by pachad. We're not having our actions or our decisions be led by pachad because it is usually irrational, overreactive, self-protective kind of fear. But we do want to look for and lean into our experiences of Yura. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, just like you said, there's such a discomfort when we actually tap into that deep place of who we are and what we believe, because it's often just not in alignment with what we're hearing from other people, or it may not even be about the external. It's just so it's big truth telling can be shaky. You know what I mean? Like you get, it's it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's the external stuff. Uh Oh, you know, this, I I can tell that what I'm feeling is not going to go with, but There's also just the intensity and exhilaration um, and and just really the intense sensation of being in your truth or doing what you're most passionate about doing. And that alone can feel uncomfortable if if we've sort of gotten into a muted out comfort zone in our lives. So the idea would be if you can distinguish or differentiate between these two types of fears, you can put yourself in a position to thrive versus misidentifying one versus the other. Is that, is that kind of the gist? Exactly. Exactly. So that you can notice, you know, okay, wow, what I'm feeling right now is Yura and I don't need to move away from that. That's a good feeling. That means I'm coming into possession of more energy than I'm used to. I'm stepping into a larger space, you know, literally or metaphorically. And I'm, and I'm in the presence of the divine in the sense of I'm in the presence of the sacred, whether you feel that's the sacred within you or the larger sacred, um, and to to really seek out and lean into those experiences. And notice when you're feeling that versus notice the pachad kind of fear, which is going to usually feel a little more constricting, a little more pressury and anxious um, somatically. 
uh, and and then to say, okay, now I'm I'm feeling pahad, and I know that's not the highest, most wise part of me, and so I want to make sure I'm not taking direction from that fear. Wonderful. And that leads beautifully into the next thing I wanted to, you know, ask you about, which again, um, is clearly laid out in your book about the idea of the inner mentor. um, Mm -hmm. And why that's so important, you know, especially with what you're talking about with understanding ourselves and our fear and listening um, internally, this struck me so strong that I actually made a there was a weekend that Todd and the girls were gone. And I made this huge poster board. And it's just my inner mentor board, everything Mm -hmm. from how I kind of perceive my Myself and what really you know resonates, what stimulates me, and it's right behind my desk. So, well, oh, you, that's so great. It is. It feels. It felt. It was like a ball to make. I think it took four hours, and it felt like ten minutes. You know. Yeah. Um, oh, that's so great. Yeah, you went into the the zone. With the it. zone, the flow. You know. But will you explain to everyone what is the inner mentor and why this is different from seeking more education and information from other people? Like differentiate. Right. Right. Well, this is, if there's one tool that people want to try out, you know, after listening today, I just so recommend this because I, I actually have never, I have never seen it fail to produce completely remarkable results from, for anyone. Um, and I have you know worked with thousands of people around it now. And the idea is simply uh, that you do a short guided meditation or visualization and that's in the book and you also can get an audio for it when you get the book. Um, It's about 20 minutes long. And as you do that visualization, you are meeting yourself 20 or 30 years in the future, a vision of yourself 20 or 30 years in the future. And this visualization is something that I, I didn't come up with it. I, um, learned it as a part of my coaching training at the Coaches Training Institute. And what I saw when I was first exposed to it is that when people did that, they didn't just meet their older selves. They met something much more interesting and mysterious than that. They met kind of their more authentic, fully expressed self in yeah. the vision. They met their inner wise one, inner crone, inner... Uh, inner mentor and that figure that they met then started to function for them, not only like a kind of North star, like that's the person I'm moving towards becoming in my life, but also like a mentor that they could literally consult and, and say, well, okay, how would he or she deal with that situation? Or how would she write this tricky email? And, when they asked that question, they would get access to answers and wisdom and clarity that they really didn't have before they checked in with yeah. that other part of themselves. And I find it to be a remarkable thing. And, you know, to me, it's it's actually been one of the, and I don't think I've ever said it before in this way, but, um, but it's actually been for me one of the biggest pieces of completely vivid evidence of the sacred within all of us or the soul within all of us that is infinitely wise and loving and knows so much more than we do. Because I've just watched again and again, people come into a situation, into a conversation, a coaching conversation with me, or, you know, we do this in the, in the group program too. So there could be 
you know, uh, uh, many people on the call and, and people are bringing their biggest dilemma, you know, something they're really stuck about and checking in with their inner mentor. And she always has a very clear, very loving, often very surprising and interesting answer that, that has a kind of, um, strangeness to it. It's not something the person ever would have gotten to on their own, but then also immediately clicks for them as, as just right. Yeah. So if you're able to tap into your inner mentor, I think what you're saying is as long as you're tapping in, it's not, it's going to tell you nothing but the truth. It's going to tell you nothing but the direction you ought to go. So in other words, it's not going to play games. So, cause often I talk about the voice inside your head and the vo- voice inside your head is somebody that's distracting and everything else. And we get this continual hamster mm-hmm. wheel in our brain that constantly is either criticizing and everything else. This is the opposite. This is when you drop down like into your heart place. Yes. Into your heart, into your inner wisdom. It's like a, it's, it's like a very, uh, it's almost a shortcut to get to that that's so hard often to find within ourselves. And you make such a good point. I'm really glad you brought that up about the voice in our head because one thing that's so interesting about the inner mentor is it's it's not exactly a voice, you know, and there's a lot of, um, you know, in, in so many different religious traditions, right, there's the idea in different spiritual and mystical traditions, the idea that um, what what can be... Pr- put into language, they're the most important things we need to know and feel are the things that can't be put into words. Yeah. Um, and that the inner the, that oh. the inner critic voice and that the kind of neurotic or monkey mind voice that you're referring to that we often need to unhook from, it's a very verbal voice. Yeah. And so it's interesting that we get to the inner mentor through a visualization. We're not actually getting to this through the verbal part of our minds. We're getting to it through a much more visual part of our minds, much more right brain, some might say. And then once we have an image of that inner mentor and a kind of feeling sense of the presence of that figure, we're tapping into that. And so we might then hear an answer in words or we might hear it more in a feeling or kind of um, we might even understand what our inner mentor is saying through their facial expression or through a symbol. Um, But we're not initially tapping into that part through our conscious uh, language using prefrontal cortex part of us. And, you know, I'm so glad we're having this discussion, the three of us together, because, you know, this is a very feminine, and I'm using that word just to mean this is a very um, often considered a feminine experience that sometimes when I share with Todd that I was listening to something and this is what I feel I should do, sometimes he asks me if it's a literal voice. And listening to me is more about that feeling sense, that gut. And I even, for my inner mentor, I can see her. I know where, when I say I know where she lives, I don't necessarily mean I'm literally going to live there. But she lives by water. She lives in a very calm place. She lives in a, and so when I tap into her, she doesn't like say, do this, do that. But she almost looks at me like, you know what to do. You know, there's a, it's, it's not a, it's not so much a, 
you know, message in words as it is, trust yourself. And um, so, and sometimes I think, and this isn't always a male thing, I don't want to divide us in this way, but sometimes, Todd, you would say that sometimes when I say those things, it doesn't quite make sense to you. Yeah, it doesn't resonate. It doesn't like that idea Mm -hmm. that you didn't Mm -hmm. get the information from somewhere more literal. Because I'm overly logical and it doesn't mean I don't have the capacity to tap into this place, but it makes me want to read this section of the book at at a minimum and do this guided meditation just to kind of follow it through because I do think that we as men have a great capacity to touch our feminine. We just choose not to do it. And that's something Mm -hmm. that's something that I'm trying to do with the men that uh, I help lead in my little community. And uh, I think if there was more balance from the males to get in touch with the feminine, which are most of the uh, explanations that you have in this book, it would probably be better for all of us. Yeah. Mm, that's beautiful. And I, I would love to hear how it goes for you. And I'm, I'm actually just remembering a time as you're talking about this, that I um, did this exercise with a male coaching client. And it was just, it was such a beautiful experience for him and such a powerful experience for him. And he immediately um, you know, could tap into this vision of his his older, wiser self who was living a very different, much more authentic life than he was at the time. And um, and I'm just I'm remembering him weeping um, mm. as, as we did that. And and years later, you know, we just did a couple sessions, and years later he wrote to me and um, had made some huge life decisions um, that were very in line with the picture that he saw of that, of that man. So I think it, you know, it's, it's a tool that really is there for men too. And yes, I, I totally hear what you're saying. Not, and it's not just men, but you know, we part of the way our culture is, um, is right now is kind of like, well, what's the info? What's the bottom line? What's the tip? What's the bullet point? Yeah. And so it can feel really confusing to be like, well, there's no bullet point. You're going to do this visualization and <laughs> right. see what comes up. And it might be kind of hazy and you might have to live with it for a couple months till you even understand the different meanings of what you saw. But that can be such a beautiful process mm-hmm. too. It is. And trusting the inner, you feel so in alignment with the choices you're making and you feel like, you know, regardless of what the outcomes, you feel good about what you're putting mm. out there. And that's always been super helpful, you know, to me personally. So mm. I, I, there's so much more in this book, everybody. And I really, um, Tara, just so you know, this was my, um, obviously you're getting the gist that I like your book, but I, this was my Christmas present to everybody oh, this year. thank um, you. Yes. And so there's a lot of women in my life who have this book in front of them. And for those of you who don't, I highly recommend you get it and you take your time with it. Like I would read a chapter and then I'd kind of sit with it because there's a lot of great information. We didn't even get to touch on um, the whole idea of unhooking from praise and criticism. Mm. So for those of you that, you know, praise and criticism is big in your life, you'll love that chapter. So Um, so we are going to wrap up, but I want to, Tara, give you the opportunity just if somebody wants to buy your book or see your website or just understand what you're about, where do we go? Yeah, so you can go to taramore.com. It's T-A-R-A-M-O-H-R.com. Uh, the book, Playing Big, you can get at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or IndieBound, um, wherever you like to buy your books. And then also, since we talked about the 10 rules, um, I want to mention to people, 
if you go to my website or if you Google 10 rules for brilliant women, um, you can also get the 10 rules. And there's, I now have in addition a free little downloadable workbook that takes you through each of the 10 rules and gives you some great journaling questions to start applying them to your own life. So that can be a fun way to get started too. And I would love to see everybody over at taramore.com. Yes. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing in the world. It's very, very important. Um, You know, I know that you've tapped into your own inner mentor, so you know that you are, you know, headed down the right path, but it's been very helpful to me and many of the people that I've come into contact with. So um, we will stay in touch and keep, uh, you know, keep connected about what we're doing and hope you do the same. Please do. Thank you so much. And thanks for the work you're doing in the world too. Thank Thank you, you, Tara. Tara. 